Hello. Hello, Anna. Mike, are we doing this again? What's with the voice? Do you like scary movies? You know I do, Mike. Do you like scary podcasts about scary movies? You know we've done this cold open before. We have. I don't know, guys. I think something... Something about this one feels different. Guys, we need to do something more original. This is literally a carbon copy of episode one. People expect more from us. Well, it's more of a requel than a carbon copy. Yeah, well, something that pleases the original fans of the Hello Sydney podcast, but also welcomes a new audience. Okay, fine, whatever. Are we ready to record? Do we all have our podcast mics? I'm Louise fucking Blaine. Of course I have my podcast mic. Welcome back to Hello Sydney, a limited podcast series supported by Paramount, made by horror movie fans for horror movie fans that cuts deep into one of the most iconic horror franchises ever made. It's finally here. We are literally buzzing with excitement. The new Scream film is finally in cinemas in the UK. And we're back in Woodsboro, against all advice, with Sydney Prescott, Gail Weathers and Dewey Riley. I'm Louise Blaine, a journalist and broadcaster, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, writer and broadcaster Anna Bogutskaya. Hello. And producer and podcaster Mike Munzer. Hello. So if you've listened to the previous episodes, and we hope you have to get to this point, you'll know that we explored the previous films in the series and what each scream meant for slashers. We relived the best and the goriest moments. And now it's time to talk about something new. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott, of course I have a gun. Yes, this week we're talking Scream 2022. And just a quick warning, the first half of our discussion will be completely spoiler-free. Completely spoiler-free. But we will obviously be talking about characters, so if you don't want to know anything... Go off and watch the movie. But the latter half will be spoilerific. We're going to talk about every single drop of blood that escapes characters that we're not (laughs) going to discuss. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get into any spoilers. Now, before we get into the chat, Anna, it's your turn again to sum up the plot of Scream in 20 seconds. Oh, God, this this is worse than Wordle. So your time Um, starts now. 25 years after the original massacre in Woodsboro, a local teenager, Tara Carpenter, is once again attacked in her home by a new ghost face, this time using modern mobile technology. This event triggers Deputy Dewey, Sheriff Dewey, who is no longer part of the the sheriff's department and has his issues to get back in touch with Sydney, who now has kids and seems very happy, and his ex-wife, Gail, who now has a morning show, to come back and help protect the teenagers and end the new ghost phase once and for all, or for now. Anna, did you hear me when I said 20 seconds? Anna cannot be contained. I cannot be contained. Seconds. I don't know time. Time has no meaning to me anymore. You were, you were in charge of time. I was in charge of synopsing. It was a beautiful synopsis all the same. It was a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful how long thing. was that? How, how long was that? Uh, it was about 32 seconds. Well, potato, potato, whatever. <laughs> Those 12 seconds would like to have a word. So... Should we talk, before we get into the film itself, should we talk a little bit about our anticipations for this, our expectations for it? I'm sure anyone who's listened to the first four episodes knows that we were pretty excited. We had certain predictions. We may have had certain expectations. Uh, Louise, what were your thoughts sort of 
sitting down in your seat to go and watch this? I was so excited. It's like it was it was absurd. I mean, I think we we can say that we were all meant to see it together, but due to multiple things happening, we didn't end up seeing it together because the way of the world in 2022 is like that. So I think I knew you guys had seen it, but you'd been very polite and not said anything to me at all. Um, And I'd actually decided to just delete Twitter because I didn't want to know what the world thought. So I just deleted Twitter because I was like, well, this is what I'm doing. I put a screen watch face on my Apple Watch. And, (laughs) you know, I was... The most adorable thing. I walked to the cinema listening to Marco Beltrami's score because I could only listen to Brian Tyler's new Scream score on the walk back because I didn't want to spoil it for myself. But, I mean, you could say that the expectations were high. But I think I also... I wasn't... I, di- I wasn't totally worked up to the fact that it had to be an utter masterpiece. I was quite resigned to the fact, obviously, we love Scream 4 and I've seen this TV series. So I think I was just, by the time I sat in the cinema, I was just like, I'm here for this. I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the return of Ghostface. So on the walk there, it felt huge. But by the time I got to the thing that said 18, strong bloody violence, I was just so happy to be seeing a Scream film again. It was a joy. Mm-hmm. Anna, what about you? Did you have any particular expectations of this movie? What did you think when you were sort of going to take your seat? I just wanted it to be good. Honestly, I was trepidatious and I'm always a little bit cynical, but I try to go into these things open-minded. I had not read anything. I had watched the trailer reluctantly and and I just wanted it to be a fitting Scream film. I didn't want it to be something that was trying too hard or something that went in a completely different direction. And, you know, we've been re-watching and talking about the Scream films and there is a particular DNA to them, isn't it? And as lo- all I wanted, all I expected from it is as long as it didn't betray that identity, that DNA, I did not want this to be an Ari Arster movie. I wanted this to be like stabby, like stabby central. I wanted this to be intense and gory. I wanted the whole kind of previous 20 years of horror, including Scream 4, which was already quite gory and perhaps like even gorier than the first three. But plus everything that we've seen horror evolve into over the last decade kind of collapsed into one and sandwiched in between the legacy of the 90s slasher that Scream pioneered and make it kind of extra, extra, extra bloody. Yeah, I kind of agree. I I wanted it to be... I wanted it to still feel like a Scream film, but I guess like we've talked about with the first four, each of those Scream films does something quite clever and comments on the sort of climate of the time, doesn't it, I think? And I guess I wanted it to sort of achieve that. And it's a really difficult thing to expect a film to do, I think, which is move with the times, give you something new, but also give you exactly what you want from that kind of that nostalgic love of the original as well, right? And you're right, like I wanted to see a good, gory, scary slasher movie because it doesn't really feel like we have as many of those anymore, does it? And maybe we should start by quickly talking about that. With each Scream movie, we've talked about where horror was at and where the slashers were at at that point in time. Anna, what do you think has happened to the slasher movie? Um, Are we sort of, uh, are we done with slashers by this point, do you think? Where are sort of gory, stabby, slashy horror movies at these days? Well, The thing is that I think there's where's horrors at and where's the slasher at. And I think those are two separate questions and Scream kind of always tapped into both of them. But Scream is always and will always be a slasher franchise primarily. But horror has really shifted away from that. And it shifted away into something a little bit more art housey. It shifted away into something a little bit more visceral and intense, but in a kind of 
let's psychologically damage you as opposed to let's give you a fun Friday night slashy ride. And I'm all for that, but that was never what screen movies were about. Screen movies are fun and slashers have a formula and a repetition to them that is quite comforting, but always kind of tries to up the ante for the audience to continue keeping them engaged and entertained. So slashers are always fun and horror has not really been centered on the fun as much. There's been outliers and we might talk about those, but generally it's gone in a really psychologically intense, very art house, very slow burn with huge bursts of intense violence as opposed to a consistent funny and meta narrative that the the slasher always kind of is playing around whether it's the scream movies or any other slasher franchise but i think it's really important to say that we're currently having a massive resurgence of the classics so i mean we have a we in february we have a texas chainsaw massacre movie coming to netflix last year we had halloween kills which has obviously got halloween ends coming again we have another predator we have another pinhead we just had Candyman last year like the only two i mean jason Voorhees and uh, freddy krueger are sitting in the horror movie villain pub literally tapping their hands right now because they're like excuse me when are we coming back and pamela Voorhees. let's never forget pamela Voorhees. of course she's sitting there with them she's you know she's in the she's in the harder stuff she's not been around for a while (laughs) but i mean that's i feel like it was a perfect time for scream to come back because actually you and i were talking about this the other night mike we feel like we're finally getting proper 90s nostalgia back instead of just this obsession with the 80s that we've had for so long it's like finally the 90s are talking meta to each other again and i think it's this perfect time for scream to come in the middle of this we've obviously been watching yellow jackets which is kind of hitting those same bits and i feel like it's almost like scream could even though it was moved for sort of covid reasons i feel like scream it was the perfect time for scream to come now as we're toppling from quite a strange horror 2021 where we expected a lot of things we expected we had a lot of disappointments in 2020 i mean i had a lot of disappointments i fully expected horror to be great and it wasn't um and i feel like sitting at the start of january before another year of revisits i'm now like well Scream's my Scream's my new favourite. You're going to have to do a lot to beat that. I love it. Uh, let's talk about it then, shall we? So uh, we won't, again, just to emphasise, we won't spoil or give away too many plot specifics, but um, Anna, what did you think of Scream and how did it compare, how did it differ to what had come previously? So I did not expect Scream 2022 to be as funny as it was. So this was my main very positive, very pleasant surprise from it. I was literally, and Mike, you and I saw it together. I was literally laughing out loud. Yes, we both were. So we? many moments. Yeah. I was giggling my little head off. So I think that that humor that I think the the first um the first and the second scream, the Kevin Williamson scripts particularly had, which is not on the nose, it's not cringy, it's very it feels very much of its time, crystallized in those beautiful scripts. That is very efficiently transplanted into this one as well. It feels like 2022 humor. It feels funny for now. That's the thing that really, really surprised me. And then I I said I expected violence and I got my violence. 
in heaps, which I was very grateful for. But it was the humor of it that really surprised me in a really positive way. I was having I was having a massive lull. My my notebook is entirely filled with psychotic notes from from that screening. Uh, so I I had fun with it, and I think it's interesting that Louise kind of talked about the the resurgence of the old villains. I'm a little bit of a Grinch in the sense that I I love all my all my villains who are always getting together in the villain pub. But at the same time, I miss or I want someone who feels of now, a villain kind of of our time, a new Freddy. And what's really fascinating, kind of, I never feel that way about Ghostface, because as we've explored in the previous episodes, Ghostface is always a person and that person always changes. So Ghostface is just an avatar. And what could feel more contemporary than a mask, an avatar that you can put on and become an iconic villain? So at the same time, giving something new while... Um, being familiar enough that we we know to fear it. Yeah, you're right. I th- I I re I loved it as well. It really kind of it met my expectations in that regard because there are moments, and we can talk about this more with spoilers. But there are moments that made me so happy where I was laughing, I was gasping, and moments where it felt like, oh, this film is made for me. Like it feels <laughs> like there were there were lines of dialogue that were talking directly to me at times that I absolutely loved. Uh, so it really got me in that regard. And yeah, I think Scream may be compared to Halloween or something. It works better in the way that you were just describing, Anna, because of the, the nature of Ghostface, where yes, we can bring back all the old nostalgic iconography, but because of Ghostface and because of the way he works, we put somebody brand new in that mask and we update it and we make it fresh and interesting and of 2022. And we're not just bringing back, you know, the same stories, the same characters from, from 1996. So I think it did. It, it, I think in some ways it kind of achieved the impossible, which was that it did manage to, I think, kind of please us old fans as well as kind of do something new for a new generation, which I was so relieved about. Um, Louise, what about you? What did you think? You saying that you felt like they were written for you. I genuinely felt like it was repeatedly seeing inside my head and just making making the film that I wanted it to be. Like, I think Mm -hmm. we all just had the most... If if I if I had sat there before it and thought what I actually wanted, I would have felt like it was impossible. It would have not felt. It would have felt like the impossible dream, and I wouldn't. I wasn't even banking on that. But I got the impossible dream, which was an ama- Like I found it scary. I found it funny. I will also say that I watched it in four DX, guys. <laughs> oh my god! I I can't wait to hear about this. But which. Which added an extra element of things, but it was a joy. It's funny. It is sharp. I mean, so sharp in the way that I don't think, I think it it pleased us because we're looking for kind of like little Easter eggs, ways to sort of massage our little horror egos. That's fine, but it doesn't go over the top with those. It just goes here. You can have that, but at the same time, we're going to progress this plot. We're going to progress these characters and we're going to do things that you're not going to expect. And it repeatedly did that. I didn't, it always felt two steps ahead or at least one step ahead where you're going well I'm going to guess it's oh no oh oh, interesting I see what you've done there and they constantly did that for you know the two-hour runtime which feels you know we expect a lot and we think we're smarter a lot and for that to do that so repeatedly and so effortlessly 
you know, that's all we could have, that's all we could have wanted. Which is what you always really secretly want, even as the most hardened um, <laughs> horror fans. You do feel a little bit smug because you know the tropes, you've seen all the films, you've seen the franchises, you know the history. But then when they manage to outsmart you, you love it. You not so secretly love it because like, yes, this is why you're making the films and we're watching them and we're lapping them up. You are smarter than us and it's so satisfying when a film outsmarts you. And I think the the other thing about this new scream is that it is it is bringing the fun back into slashers. It's not dour. It's not grimy. It doesn't feel that way at all. And and I think that's one of the things where that has kind of been missing, perhaps, from the slasher subgenre in horror in particular, is that a lot of them are not that fun or they're too fun in a way like as in <laughs> yes. yes you've got the incredibly bleak existential stuff where you just want to go and sit in a dark room by yourself after you've watched mm. a new movie by Ari Aster or somebody like that yum, yum, yum. but then yeah but then you've got like the movies we mentioned the kind of teen horror movies whether it's Happy Death Day or Freaky these are great fun I really enjoy them but they do lean more into comedy I would say than horror and what I loved about this movie is that it did that tonal balance that again the scream movies are quite unique for which is they know when to take things seriously Mm. when they need to and they know to have moments that are actually genuinely emotional like I wasn't expecting to get so emotional (laughs) in this movie as well and uh and it knows when to go dark and serious and take the horror seriously in the way that Wes Craven always did you always felt like Wes Craven and we've talked about this time and time again with him that despite all of the other wackiness going on in some of his films he was somebody that was quite upset and disturbed by violence and horror and he treated it as such right and I think that these new directors uh, Matt Bettinelli Ulpin and Tyler Gillett they they do an amazing job actually of kind of doing justice to Wes's legacy by uh, really getting that tonal balance right, don't they? I think they really know when to make us laugh, when to kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink towards us, but also when to take the horror and the murder seriously. And I loved that it pulled that off. But I really want to hear, because there's, it's always, it's a strange time for cinema now. And I really want to hear about how, we individually watched and experienced this film and and i want to start with you louise especially (laughs) i want excruciating painful detail about the 4dx scream experience i cannot tell you how much fun i had in 4dx (laughs) genuinely i sat down in my seat and i saw the little sign that said turn water on and off (laughs) oh my god and i was like oh well I'm going to have to keep the water on at least for a bit just to see what that does. But then you see people coming in with like popcorn and stuff and drinks and you're thinking, how are you going to do this? Because it turns out that when you watch a film in 4DX, it moves. It properly moves. You go forwards and backwards. You go side to side. And I will say that I saw it in quite an empty screen. So what was also quite strange was seeing all the rows of chairs in front of me, which were making like waves. (laughs) no one in them (laughs) but i will say and obviously this is not spoiled as people get stabbed in scream films in 4dx you get stabbed in the correct area of your torso i'm not joking so so, honestly i'm not even so i was you know i'm going along and the seat's kind of juddering and it turns out the seat kind of like sweeps along with the sweeping camera which is quite lovely actually or it judders along when you're going along a road or you can feel the phones vibrate 
under your seat. So you're like, well, that's fine. And then a character gets stabbed and you get a proper little oof in the correct area of your torso because it turns out there's little bits just noddling away in there. I mean, it'd be great for if you got sore back. But honestly, it was quite disturbing, especially when Ghostface went for the mega stabs, you know, the repeated stabs. Then you would get the repeated stabs in your torso. And also, we're going to talk about it in the spoiler section, but in one of the sort of, we'll call it tantric jump scares. There was some tantric jump scares for a sequence where we were constantly (laughs) waiting for it. And that was made all the more tense because it turns out when Ghostface appears in 4DX, you get a... In your ear, because there's smoke on either side of your ears, where they can oh, literally. Oh, I'd be so. I w- I'd be so scared. I was so tense because I was literally. <laughs> I had my shoulders up like this. I was like, I don't want you to blow on my neck again, but that's literally what's going to happen. So yeah, so I got my neck blown on and stabbed <laughs> and got wet when things horrible happened. And then I turned the water off because I didn't find it pleasant because it was getting in my mask and I didn't like it. I had a hell of a time. It was so much fun. And I was sitting there just like giggling because I would giggle about what happened on screen character wise or or someone had said something. But then I would giggle just because of what had literally just happened to me. It was honestly, everybody should see Scream in 4DX. Now I feel like Anna, our experience was so boring in comparison. You got you got to take (laughs) notes. I couldn't have taken notes. Literally. Because you were like sugaring or whatever. (laughs) I was sugaring. Very good worst word of good use of sugaring. But yes. Our experience was the most like London industry in January 2022 you can imagine right which was it was me and Anna and one other journalist (laughs) and a couple of publicists in an otherwise completely empty screening room in Soho in London so it was very quiet it was very social socially distanced we were all in masks and there was about you know two percent of the seats that were actually uh filled um but having said that right like we talked about anna i think again it's kind of testament to the film because you feel like scream films particularly should be enjoyed with big rowdy crowds or in 4dx right because they're those types of films the fact that it still worked on us that me and you were still looking at each other and laughing and having a blast is a good sign, right? I think. What I, what I will say is that usually with these kind of, you know, press media uh, screenings, you tend to train yourself to not react, especially when you know yeah. that the team from the film or the publicists are kind of in the room with you. And, you know, we, we've all done this a million times. So you just sit there and even if you're loving it, you're kind of just blank faced and I always go in with the full intention of, of being you know hyper professional and stuff and then sometimes when a film just gets you it gets you and about 10 minutes in I was actually audibly cackling in the screening room I was like I don't care who's in this room with me I am having fun with a capital F so I'm gonna laugh my little ass off like that was it and there was gasps there was so much laughter and you could tell that even with um with the reduced number of people that were in that screening room people people were cackling at, at certain yeah. points and I was like this is great this rarely happens when you're in an industrial kind of you know a, a press setting that people actually react from the belly so to speak totally it was so much fun and that's it and and I love that the screen movies kind of celebrate watching movies don't they all of Mm -hmm. them do and whether it's like Casey watching a movie by herself with some popcorn home alone or whether it's the madness of the cinema scene in the opening of Scream 2 or the kind of film nerd homemade festival thing in Scream 4 all of these kind of different ways to watch horror movies and particularly stab movies or scream movies right I feel like we even between the three of us we got the spectrum (laughs) there which is nice and I I reckon without 
before we go into spoilers, we're going to be dancing around a lot of the details of the film. But I think one of the one of the questions that probably people always think about when there's a new sequel to a franchise coming out is do I oh god, do I need to watch the all the previous ones? Do I need to watch the original? So how did this one work for you with the previous with the previous Scream films? And particularly because they share a name with the original Scream. Oh, I don't, it's a really difficult question, isn't it? Because as a giant Scream fan, like I live and breathe this franchise and it's really hard for me to judge what complete newcomers would have made of this film, you know? I was trying to work this out and then I realised that we're too deep. We're far too deep in the metaverse. We can't see yeah. out from here. We're too buried here. We're in the coffin. We can't get out. But I do think not only does this film require it requires a knowledge of scream but it also requires our knowledge of the scream world stab franchise is obviously it still exists in there which i think is really important <laughs> I, th- I think the the layers the layers at work within scream got to the point where i was like and it's maybe my 4 dx showing i was like i should check if ghostface is behind me because we are so meta layered at this point that i don't really even know where i am and i'm loving it like i'm just basking in this meta delicious 90s slasher soup and i genuinely don't know what other people would feel i mean there is a scene in it in which people explain things to each other which we love but i think people who are potentially not in that world would be like what is this scene really are you celebrating and cackling here because this is just, this sounds like an exposition fest when for us it's a core part of every scream movie and i think that's i think that's potentially i mean i was thinking my mum was like oh would i like it and she was kind of joking and i was like no you wouldn't like it and then i was thinking anyone that hasn't understood how these films have worked for the last 25 years i i i genuinely don't think they would get as much get as much of a kick really these movies need to work on two, if not three, different levels. So they need to appeal to the mega fan. They need to satisfy the casual fan who doesn't necessarily is doesn't necessarily know the the intricacies of the franchise, but is able to recognize the names of the characters and the basic premise and the villain. And also to the newbie who will just be like, "Oh, what's at the cinema today? Oh, it's Scream. I'll go see it. It's a horror film. It'll be fun." And I think this one hits. The two first ones, but I don't think someone who does has never seen a Scream movie, has never maybe seen a slasher movie, doesn't know what a slasher is and just wants to go see something fun and a little bit scary at the movies. I don't know if it's giving them enough basic information to be able to get into the story and know what world they're inhabiting. And so much of the kind of emotional resonance of this film for me was seeing some of our faves come back, right? I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Sydney, Dewey and Gale, i.e. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette are all back in this movie, right? As well as a whole new cast. Um, Anna, what did you think of the cast of this movie, both old and new? I mean, first of all, it would not be a screen movie without the three regulars. It just, mm-hmm. it could not happen. They are the the seasoning of the entire franchise. It's like trying to make a meal without salt and pepper. Like, are you joking? No. They are it- our crispy onions, Anna. They are <laughs> our delicious crunions. Lovely. <laughs> I don't know what you're cooking. I'm talking about like, this is the basics. The original cast looks great. They look great. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about where their characters are at in the spoiler section, but I think they they each come in at the right moments in the film, and they don't overpower 
it, but it's a welcoming and warm and kind of very consistent presence that they bring to it. It's the, you know, it's the legacy, it's the humanity of the entire Scream franchise. The new cast, I think, is the one who has the hardest job because they need to prove themselves and they really need to carry the the actual nuts and bolts plot of the film. And we need to care about them enough to care whether they, they get stabbed or not. And, and I think there's a much more family-centric plot to this one. And and it, it worked for me. I think the cast is just... It, there's a... Sometimes something that contemporary horror films, especially ones with big ensemble casts, try to do, which is kind of go try to satisfy everyone and end up not satisfying anyone. They're kind of trying to be very pain by numbers. Um, let's do let's let's make the teenagers sound like they've just come out of a TikTok. But I think these teenagers actually felt quite um quite human. I think initially I had that fear of, oh wow, you've just zoomed in on eight different people <laughs> like there are now eight different people standing in Woodsboro High and yes I understand I'm at Woodsboro High and um okay and now I need to relate to all of these but absolutely what Anna said like we um quickly felt a part of their crew which was quite nice it's like well I understand you're this one you're that one and I think occasionally and I think we talked about it before the fact that Kevin Williamson was like these are not nice scream teenagers are not nice teenagers like they're 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 pretty dark they're pretty wicked they're pretty twisted because they're surviving while everyone else dies and i actually think they balance that very nicely for a 2022 crowd without making everyone sound callous yeah i i i think i really like this cast of 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 kids i think maybe in terms of sort of the teens i think maybe they're my favorite since the first one in terms of how they're written um because you feel like they i guess in a lot of ways this movie is sort of similar it has a lot in common with scream 4 doesn't it where you've got you're back in woodsboro you've got your your legacy characters but you've got your new group of teens and as much as we loved you know kirby and Charlie in Scream 4, it did almost feel like they sort of existed in a vacuum. Like, we didn't really know much about them other than what they said and did in the film. But you get the feeling with this movie, actually, with quite little, they give you quite a lot about these characters. Like, we know a bit about their family, about their childhoods, about their relationships to each other, about their relationships with their parents, some of them, and this kind of thing. Whereas, again, you you never, re- like, as much as we loved Kerber, we didn't really know anything about her, her family, family life, her upbringing, whatever else. And I think that... You're right. Like I had the same feeling as you, Louise. When we first get an establishing shot of like eight of them, I was like, oh God, this is too <laughs> many new, new teenagers to have to deal with. But I think the, the script actually does do a really clever job of kind of giving us enough about them. And yes, they kind of tick those slasher archetypes. You've got the nerdy one, maybe the stoner, whatever. But like the original Scream, I think it gives you a little bit more than that. Again, to the point where you actually care enough about them to care when they die right and i think that's a good thing definitely and maybe that's all we should reveal for now before we get to spoilers because there's so much more to discuss there is oh god i think we've done a really great job of dancing around our thoughts of the new scream without going into spoiler territory so well done team well done us (laughs) but as part of this as part of this project as part of this podcast we did get a very special treat. And I think this is especially uh, meaningful for Mike because him and I got to talk to some of the new cast, Melissa Barreda and Jack Quaid, but also, most importantly, got to talk to all the original three of the Scream movies. That's Nev Campbell, that's Courtney Cox and David Arquette. And Mike's face 
when we were zooming <laughs> with Neff Campbell is something. It was a moment to behold. Mike, how? I, um, what was it like for you to talk to your, your just <laughs> incredibly surreal? You know, like I think you know, all three of us are journalists. We've all we've been lucky enough to interview a lot of amazing people. But there are ones that you get to meet every now and then, right, that mean so much to you personally because of what they mean to you as a child and whatever else. And I actually, uh, I text my mum and I was like, look, and I text her a screenshot of me interviewing Nev Campbell. And my mum was like, oh, is that that actress that you used to be just like obsessed with and in love with when you were a kid? I was like, yes, that's right. That is uh, that, is that one. Uh, yeah. That was a big deal for me, getting to chat to, to Nev Campbell. But all three of them, actually, right? Courtney mm. Cox. David Arquette, it's a surreal thing to get to meet people that you've literally grown up sort of watching and meaning a lot to you for various different reasons, especially with Courtney Cox as well. It's like oh, for God, various yeah. different projects. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty insane, wasn't it? And also, you know, and as you'll hear them discuss, that they were so nice and they, I think, love the world of Scream and the fan base and, you know, the community around Scream. And they kind of lap it up just as much as we all do, I think, don't they? That's, that's what's so nice about it. It's really it's really lovely to to speak to actors who have been so much a part of the DNA of a franchise like this because they are, you know, not just in every single one of the films, but they love the films. And those the original kind of really changed their careers and their lives. And they've always been associated with them. And and fans love them because of that. Because it never feels like any one of them is ever phoning it in. Everyone shows up and they're always showing up with the, with the full intention of doing an absolute cracker of a job. Absolutely. So uh, have a little listen. This is our interview with the cast of The New Scream. So as we mentioned, we sat down and chatted to David Arquette, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. And we also chatted to two of the new cast members, uh, Melissa Barrera, who plays Sam, and uh, Jack Quaid, who plays Richie. This interview is completely spoiler-free. It's very short. It's only about 10 minutes um but here is our chat with the incredible cast of scream hello sydney it's an honor um so nev if we can begin with you how did it feel to return to the role of sydney prescott after 10 years i love returning to these movies you know they they are such a big part of our lives the last 25 years and these movies are always a blast to make so um yeah it was very exciting to get back into sydney's boots Courtney, in the last year, we've seen, obviously, you know, fans have been treated to the Friends reunion and now we've got a new Scream movie. Why do you think we're all so nostalgic for the 90s right now? I don't know. Even the clothes are 90s. That's a good point. I don't, I'm not sure, but I think that um, I, I, there's been a lot of TV shows that are coming back out from the 90s. I, um, I don't know, but I think it, that things that are good will always come back. And I think these two franchises, well, not franchise, I don't know what Friends is, but series, um, but this franchise, I was surprised it was going to come back, but the vision that the directors had and um, the writers, they just knew how to bring it back in a way that even elevates it or, or makes it, not elevates the original, but uh, makes it relevant. David, did you ever think that you would be back here playing Dewey again? No, not at all. Yeah, after West Pass, I didn't know if it would happen again, but... You know, Ghostface is such an iconic uh, horror character. It'd be a shame if they didn't 
keep making these films. And and on that note, actually, David, kind of what are what are some of your best memories of working with Wes? He had such an impact on my life uh, in so many ways. I loved how he was just had such a dry sense of humor and said, David, that's unusable. <laughs> <laughs> Can we try it again? I was like, sure, Wes, what should I do? Do it faster, do it better, do it right. <laughs> it's just like, all right, oh. He was the best. But then like during Scream 2, he really sat me down and, and gave me a really like a, a very uh, father-son kind of uh, conversation and helped me sort of, I don't know, it really helped me out in life. My mom was dying at the time and it really gave me a lot of inspiration and really gave me a lot of guidance. And he, he was just the best. Jack Quaid and Melissa Barrera, uh, you guys are obviously uh, newcomers to the cast for this particular instalment. Jack, tell me a bit about your history with the Scream franchise. Did you grow up as a fan of the Scream movies like so many of us did? I have an interesting history with it because I, uh, I, okay, like one of the first times I ever trick-or-treated, I remember that was like the year that Scream had just come out, like the original. And I remember being terrified by all the ghost faces that I was seeing everywhere. You know, they would have, uh, we talked about it earlier, the one with a kind of translucent mask that you could like pump blood into that one gave me nightmares as a kid. So for a while I was just like, not going to watch any horror movies at all. Uh, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to scare myself. Then as I got older, you know, I started watching more of them and I think uh, Shaun of the Dead and also Scream are both just so they're so good for someone like a burgeoning horror fan. They're, they're gateway drugs. They <laughs> reference so many other horror movies that after you watch them, you want to go check them out. So no, Scream was instrumental in my, I don't know, my uh, prowess as a horror buff. Prowess is the wrong word. We're, we're all aware of this. But yes, uh, Scream was meant a lot. And the fact that I'm in this is just huge. I, I, I still can't believe it. Melissa, to go to go to you, what was it like for you coming into the Scream family? Kind of how, what has the experience been like for you? A dream. I never in a million years ever, if you asked me, thought that I would be part of Scream. Never. I I never even thought that I would make a horror movie because I'm, I get scared. I love horror movies. I'm kind of like a masochist because I love watching them, but then I have to sleep with the light on or, you know, with the bathroom, with the bathroom open or with someone, but I never thought that I would make it. And I realized coming in that there's so much fun to make. Mm -hmm. It's like the most fun I've ever had making a movie was making this one. And it was just surreal to be able to come in and also get to interact with the originals, you know, because that they didn't have to come back and they chose to give Matt and Tyler and the new writers and the new cast like an opportunity because they are screen, you know, like without them, it wouldn't be the same. And, and I think that they were very generous coming back. And, and I, I think this, this movie has a really cool way of, how the the new characters and the original characters interact and and the relationships between them I think is really special and unique. So I'm just I'm just so grateful that I get to be in this. This franchise has changed, it's grown, it's evolved over the years. 
we've got different directors, different writers, we've had different supporting cast members, we've had different characters, different killers. The one constant that's remained has been you three, David, Nev and Courtney, right? Sydney, Gale and Dewey. What is it about these three characters particularly that, that connect with fans so much? I don't know. I mean, it's been 25 years, so you've kind of grown up with us and the world's evolved as and we've evolved as, as it's gone on. And it's really interesting to see them throughout the time and where their characters are. So I think fans are really going to enjoy just seeing seeing it all and, and, you know, getting to see these characters again. Well, Courtney and David are hilarious. And they're, I mean, they're just so funny in these movies and grounded and wonderful. And, um, you know, I think people have really enjoyed watching those characters throughout. And these films need that, need that humor and need these guys desperately. And, um, and I think it's also something to just having seen, watched us for so long, you know, I think it, the movies were, the first film was really big. People loved it. And then they were always excited to see the next one. And then come 25 years later, it's almost like seeing family. I think I, I, f- I feel like it's that certainly that way in television. Cause you're in people's living rooms every week. Now it's every day. Um, and, you know, so people feel they know you. And I, I, I think people feel that about these characters. One of the great things that we love about the franchise in each film is kind of the whodunit element. You know, we're always trying to figure out who the killer is. Um, did you, with this one, did you have to work with different scripts with different endings with different killer reveals? Yeah, I mean, at one point in time, a lot of us had different scripts and a, a lot of us didn't know who the killer was or, or who was going to die. Uh, so there was almost this other movie happening about all of us actors trying to figure out what was going on while we were shooting this movie about people trying to figure out what was going on. So it had almost another level of meta-ness to it, which was never worked like that before, but I loved it. It was so much fun. The, all the screen movies and this one in particular really deals with the fans and fandom. Kind of how, how has your experience of Scream fans been over the years? I love the Scream fans. I think they're, they're, uber fans and they're fantastic and i you know i sometimes do these autograph conventions and i meet thousands of scream fans and i'll often see sydney prescott or gail on someone's leg tattooed to someone's leg or arm or shoulder which is a very surreal experience it was very surreal the very first time i saw it um but people love these movies and they have a blast with them. And some people even feel inspired by the women in these movies or, you know, felt like it changed their life in some way. And you don't expect that when you make a horror film, you never know the effect that your, your, your work will have on others. Um, but it's always a pleasure when people come up and tell you something like that. Horror fans are like the greatest fans yeah. in the world. They're so sweet. I mean, you go to these horror conventions and it's like the nicest people, <laughs> even though like some of them are just as zombies or whatever. Covered in blood. Yeah, just, but they're like yeah. the best. I can't say enough about how much I love the horror fans. Yeah, ditto. I mean, I was, I, you know, for all of us newbies, they really, you know, before seeing the movie, accepted us all with open arms. They were, they couldn't have been nicer and cooler. You ready for this? Never. So, we're going to emphasize it one more time. From this point onwards, we will be spoiling Scream 2022. Go away and get, go away and give it a watch before before listening to what we're about to discuss. Uh, I want to start by asking you guys um, a bit about our predictions that we made <laughs> over the last few episodes and how right slash wrong we were. I want to start by congratulating Ms. Louise Blaine on 
hitting the nail in the head with a key prediction. That that trailer Mm -hmm. moment was too much. It's the only reaction. You were only going to get that reaction from Gail for doing shit to do it. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly as you as you predicted, right? So you said that Gail looked super upset in the trailer and that could only mean one thing that Dewey dies. Can we believe it? Dewey died. Ugh. Um and and I remember Anna, you were upset even by the suggestion that A Dewey would die and that B Dewey and Gail would no longer be married and living together as well. Um and that prediction also was correct wasn't it they were you know when you said that they were (laughs) you know mike when you said that this film was made for you and louise you two were talking about how this film seemed to kind of read your mind and and tap into all the things that you wanted it to be well this film tapped into everything that i hoped it would not be (laughs) (laughs) i no longer believe in love i no longer believe in good people surviving bad shit and it didn't even bring back stew it brought back billy (gasps) that right who could have predicted that like (laughs) that was amazing i've got to admit i was sort of waiting i don't know about you guys the entire way through to see matthew lillard pop up at some point i really did think it was gonna happen but i did never i I, for for whatever reason i never expected us to see skeet ulrich in this film but what a joy that was i genuinely thought Stu was going to pop up as the killer. I like at one point I was like that is a very tall and a very clumsy ghost face. That is Stu. Mm-hmm. That is Stu popping up again from the dead and really bitter for 25 years. But no, yes. Skeet came back and Skeet came back also um de-aged. I mean not that he needs that much that much de-aging because that man has oh barely God. aged. He is like a very good whiskey. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, he pops up because he. Uh, this is revealed midway through the film. He's the the actual, the father of one of our key characters. Mm. Yeah, that was an interesting reveal, wasn't it, Louise? What did you think of that? And this that our new final girl is the sort of long lost daughter of Billy Loomis. It was essential, though, wasn't it? Because the rules mean family connections. Mm -hmm. So we had to have a family connection. And the fact that that was introduced so early was amazing. I mean, that wasn't even a reveal. That was literally like, this is is a setup. This is, I'm going to explain to you that Billy Loomis is my dad. And I really love the fact that, again, we got that callback for she was seeing, you know, she was seeing him in the rearview mirror. It was like those Scream 3, Sydney seeing her mother thing. So you, you had that blend of really quite strange but also with this other well we say a grounded narrative it's not a grounded narrative but with the more normal stuff too so I love the introduction of that I'm like yes you're on point you're bringing most of the stuff from one and two but you're also giving me that little bit of sprinkling ridiculousness of three which is exactly what we need did you guys also think about I think I overthought this but when I when I discovered that she was Billy's daughter and there was this whole backstory right about how her mum was in a relationship with somebody, but then she had an affair. She slept with Billy Loomis and then she pretended that this other guy was the father. And I was racking my brains thinking, who's the mum going to turn out to be? And I was like, oh my God, what if it's Tatum? Oh my God, what if it's like... I, and I was just trying to think of like various female characters from the first film from back in the day of who this mother could have been that slept with Billy Loomis at so this you, point. So you but. wrote a whole different script in your head about Tatum be cheating on on betraying Stu with her Billy, best friend yeah. cheating on Stu with Billy being getting pregnant by Billy having that baby while wearing those very tight <laughs> crop tops in the 90s yeah. and then going back to high school and getting murdered by Stu and Billy 
Yes, yes, that's right. That makes complete sense. <laughs> that's sorry. Wait, that's stab nine. Sorry. <laughs> but this was my brain during the film. But it's again what we were talking about before about trying to stay ahead. Mm-hmm. But as as much as we could try and be ahead of this movie, it was always it, mostly ahead of us, which was nice. It, it was smarter than us for the duration. Although I did guess. Although we should maybe go further things of of. We'll talk about the killers near the end. Yeah, we'll get to that, definitely. But just briefly going back to Stu as well, like there were so many mentions of Stu and Matthew Lillard's character throughout, right? Even in the opening scene where they're like, it wasn't just Billy, it was also Stu. And then later on, somebody, somebody mentions Stu and everyone forgets about Stu. And then there's a moment when Dewey's like, oh, he was some whack job that was friends with Billy Loomis. And like, there was so, I was just waiting for it. I was like, way and then and then the fact that the final act happens in Stu's house I was like this is it he's gonna pop up um but I wonder if the writers kind of knew that that they were toying with us in that regard justice for my deranged pickle I wanted him back there's always scream six you know (laughs) let's wait and see um should we I should we start at the beginning and let me ask you because we've always talked about with each movie you know the opening scene kill the cold open what it brings differently to each movie how it differs from the previous ones what did we make of this opening scene louise and how did it compare to sort of previous ones you'd seen well i think the initial opening had to do a lot of heavy lifting it had to do 11 years of heavy lifting with with horror and it knew it had to do it so we got that whole discussion about elevated horror so yet again we had a young girl on the phone to ghostface fine but we also had to break down basically a decade of horror since it's like well I like the Babadook it follows and suddenly you were getting all these again those little nods of I know that film I know that film I know that film but at the same time you also had to build the tension of a girl being home alone speaking to Ghostface and yet again it then had to hit the technology beats so we had her locking the doors using her phone which was then not working so we had to then place it in 2022 not just horror wise but technologically too because Ghostface is always like that so I think making the most of I mean she was texting who was she texting Amber that wasn't Amber she was trying to lock her doors it wasn't working and yet it all boiled down to the simplicity of person wearing Ghostface outfit killing a girl so I think it readdressed all of those things really really nicely and then pivoted it entirely because she didn't die she didn't die. I know, that was a great little twist, wasn't it? Anna, what did you think of the opening? This starts off the movie and it starts off all the emotional narrative as well and all the kind of the the family dynamics and the soap operatic elements of the film from the fact that this girl survives. It would have been a much less interesting scream if the initial victim had actually died, I think. It would have been too repetitive and it found a very simple way to make it feel new and open up all these additional narrative doors for it to explore. Yeah, I completely agree. I loved it. And I, I think for me, the, the the opening scenes veered too far. For me, by the time it got to Scream 4, it was trying so hard to be meta and funny. I wasn't the biggest fan of the opening scene of Scream 4 in, in how far it goes into sort of the, the satire and comedy. And I love that this one brought it back to being a scary scene of a girl alone in the house again. Um, and and it, I think it pulled off that sort of tonal balance of, yes, you laugh as soon as she like looks at the landline in a weird way to be like, why is the landline ringing? And that made me laugh. And there are moments that are really funny. But also there is genuine sort of um, threat in this one again. Mm. And then what a great little twist that she she didn't even die. That was awesome. I just found it interesting as well of maybe for new people 
it's like Ghostface literally saying, but that's not Ghostface. It's a stab movie. It's a slasher movie. And I feel like that is redrawing the line of, no, no, we don't do that Ari Aster shit. We don't do any of this. We literally have the physicality. And we've talked about it a lot, that physicality of knives. And it is nasty. It is brutal. It is something that Scream has really kind of disgustingly celebrated and that we love about Scream, especially because it's so brutal before it, before people, you know, bring lots of guns to a knife fight, which always happens near the end of a Scream movie. But I do think him drawing that line of, no, 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 Ghostface has a knife. He is this, you know, he's a traditional slasher villain. I did find, like, I was properly giggling about that, like, celebrating, like, yes, give me the man in the mask and the knife, yes. <laughs> Ghostface is a purist. <laughs> yeah, and t- and that character of Tara, who, you know, she she is reminiscent of Sydney in the original, because the, 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 our final girl in the Scream franchise is not somebody that likes scary movies, right? It's not somebody mm. that likes slasher movies. As Sydney said in Scream 1, she doesn't like all that shit. They're all the same. And it's the same in this one, right? Where Tara's like, don't really like those films. There's not really much to them. I prefer the Babadook. I prefer It Follows. And she even gets that amazing last line where she, after she, you know, shoots the killer in the head and goes, I still prefer the Babadook. And that's yes, very... Uh- that's very so Sydney good. Prescott. She gets the Sydney Prescott line of "not in my movie," doesn't she? In in, in this yeah. film, and I really I love that as well about it. It's great. And I think one of the interesting things about this one, and I think this must, might be a good um, jumping off point to talk about the new teenagers in in Scream, is that we actually get kind of two final girls in this. We get two sisters. We get Tara and we get Sam Carpenter. And aside from all the family dynamics between them, but. Both of them survive and both of them um, have their Sydney Prescott moments. And both of them have their face-offs with ghost with Ghostface. Tara, obviously, at the beginning and, and Sam at the end. And I think that those two confrontations, those two really, really violent and really funny scenes actually really bookend the film so nicely is that we never are just with one final girl. We're with both of them. And she gets, a, she gets another properly agonizing ghost face moment in the hospital when the lights go out. I mean, that scene is really painful. And I'm not just saying that because my seat buzzed when she ripped out her cannula. Like, I'm <laughs> genuinely, I found that scene really, really good, really tense and really painful with her little, because obviously we'd seen the knife go through her hand and then she was desperately trying to push the wheelchair wheel. Like, I, I thought She's she so really little went, as well. she was tiny and she really went through the ringer and you you properly felt for her. So I feel like she got some of the scariest moments in the movie because she was really, she was weak at that point. And, you know, I think that was really, I, I found her particularly, sadly, so victimised. And, and also, but she's got that thing that Sidney Gale and Dewey have, which is like, you know, you could, we almost laugh at how much Sidney Gale and Dewey get shot and stabbed and maimed throughout all of the films, right? And she she must get stabbed more times than Dewey has in total just across <laughs> this one film, right? I think at one point oh at the end, one of the killers calls her a fucking pincushion. Like, I'll get she, your other organs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She just keeps being attacked and stabbed. And I love that, like, no, fuck you. She still survives and bests the killers at the end. Like, it's good great. For yeah, Tara. I really loved. Yeah, good for Tara. Tara and Sam were great. Were great. A great little duo of final girls in this. Really good. So what did you guys make about the the other teenagers in this? And and they're all kind of in one way or another connected to the original teenagers of the original Scream. So we've got the twins, Chad and Mindy, uh, and they are related to Randy, right? They are niece and nephew, mm-hmm. I believe, of yes. Randy. Because we get a little a little moment from uh, with uh, their mum, who we've seen is Randy 
sister. She's been in Scream 3 already. So we've got the niece and nephew of Randy, and they very much, particularly Mindy, played by uh, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, she very much plays the kind of Randy character in this, doesn't she? The kind of the the horror movie nerd that lays out all of the rules and all of that kind of thing. Uh, Then we've got this character of Wes, played by Dylan Minnette, who's kind of, he seems actually quite sweet for the for the bulk of the time he's around. Maybe too sweet. I think like, you know, there's a moment when you think... Yeah, you, yes, you become suspicious totally. of him ultimately because he seems so pure in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, Also, he had bleach blonde dyed hair. I'm always suspicious of a man with bleach blonde dyed hair. Don't do it. Okay, so you don't do it. Anna, I just won my game of Anna Bingo in which I was like, <laughs> at what point is she going to talk about his hair? <laughs> Tick that off. <laughs> Anna's about to talk about his tips. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we want to talk about 90s nostalgia coming back full circle... We're getting the we're getting the blonde tips back, and he had a tie dye T shirt on as well. <laughs> oh my god, Christ. I love it! I love it. And he's the son of Judy, Deputy Judy, right from Scream Four, so he's related to her. Then we've got the character of Amber, who's not related to anyone, but she lives in the house mm-hmm. of Stu, obviously. But she kind of fulfills the sort of sort of Tatum-esque role, at least for the bulk of it, right? Where she's sort of, you might think she's the sort of mean girl type, but she's actually quite a loyal, or appears to be a kind of loyal best friend to Tara and that kind She's of a kind of old, gothy, antagonistic one of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then who else have you got? And you've got um, Chad's girlfriend, Liv, who we don't really find out much about, do we really? Other than Mindy calls her the boring one. <laughs> she, kind, she kind of is the boring one. <laughs> she acts quite suspicious a lot too. She gets lingering looks. Mm. She gets a sort of, oh, I'm going to do this now. You're going to suspect me. You're going to suspect me a lot. What I really enjoyed the most is actually that we get our teenage group, but also we get two sort of early 20s young adults. So with Sam and her boyfriend, Richie, who get pulled back into Woodsboro, at least Sam is. She's from Woodsboro. She's Tara's sister. They're estranged. The family dynamics there are, you know very soap opera like and uh, that's fine that that tickles me but the, <laughs> she goes back to Woodsboro when Tara gets attacked and she brings along her boyfriend Richie who's played by Jack Quaid and they're kind of you know they're sort of early 20s so them being mocked by the teenagers it's also quite funny because you get the you get the gen the gen uh xers you get the millennials and you get the gen z yeah everyone is represented in this film it's so true and i like that they kind of introduced that dynamic like i mentioned earlier of like these characters will have a history with each other sam used to babysit for her sister's mate so they all knew her sort of growing up amber really doesn't like her because she abandoned her best friend and all this kind of thing and again i think they do quite a good job of kind of we talked about it a lot with the original film where you you kind of build up a story in your mind of marine prescott and cotton and you kind of you you sort of picture in your head where these characters have all been in the past and i think this movie kind of does a good job of painting that that past i think for these characters you know does it all in that great scene that i think newbies will hate uh which is within in sight of the randy meeks memorial theater (laughs) sign As they're describing the plot to each other and they're describing the way that this movie should go. And it's a great way of introducing us to all those characters, but also having Dewey sitting there. And I think there's some really, really funny moments. There's actually some proper funny Dewey moments, which obviously we don't get many of. So actually getting those in that scene is really important, but also understanding who, I mean, uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown's character, she's telling us the rules 
as to how they're meant to be now. And actually, I found it quite useful because I'm like, what is the rules of a requel? Mm -hmm. Do I know the rules of a requel? Maybe I don't know the rules. Thank you for reminding me, movie nerd, a thing that I did not know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that model. I loved her in the film in general, the way that she kind of embodied this this stoner bro and and an all-knowing stoner and the Randy Meeks kind of movie nerd archetype all mixed together, but also had this very, very chill girl vibe to her that I like okay so you're kind of updating it you're giving us the thing that we love and we expect from a screen movie but you're also making it kind of almost impossibly cool in a way that Gen Z characters and teenagers are impossibly cool I'm like oh you can't do you're 10 years younger than me and you would 100% bully me I know this for a fact yeah Yeah, yeah. She was very intimidating and very cool. Uh, yes, yeah, very. Uh, cool. I want to be friends with her cool. character desperately. Yeah. And also, I suppose that is a really interesting thing to discuss as well. That she lays out the rules of the requel, and she talks about this really interesting thing that makes it very of the now, which is yes, that these movies have to kind of exist in the world of the originals, but do their own thing, uh, partly because of toxic fandom, right? And there's there are some amazing references to things like Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi movie. Obviously, in the world of Scream, Ryan Johnson directed Stab 8, which fans hated and rejected <laughs> um, because it, you know, it messed up their childhood and the movies they fell in love with and all of this kind of thing. What do you think of that and the way that um, it kind of introduces this idea of kind of very 2022 toxic fandom into the screen world i think it's one of the smartest approaches it could possibly take to both mocking and talking about what film what film world what film fandom and more specifically horror fandom is looking like right now you know there's a scene where richie who at the beginning of the film kind of says that he doesn't know anything about the stab movies and we see him sort of educating himself through watching the stab movies on netflix on his phone in the hospital he's watching youtube explainers and youtube commentators on his phone as well there's podcasts there's there's all of these different new media that exist around fandom around just talking and and exploring and diving deeper and deeper and deeper into into a particular property or movie or franchise. And that is so of the now. That has happened literally in the last 10 years, probably arguably even less than 10 years. And it is now the new fandom industrial complex. This is how we talk about films nowadays. These are these are also influencing films as well. We're now seeing, and I think it, it was a little bit present in, in Halloween 2018, and it's very much a part of the, the story here, we're seeing how these are also affecting the stories that we're seeing on screen. The fact that there it's a little Easter egg for anybody who's active on social media or is aware of the, the backlash that poor, excellent director Ryan Johnson got on the back of his directing Star Wars episode whatever, seven? Episode eight. eight. Episode eight. Episode FYI, eight. Sorry. The the best ever Star Wars film. The best come ever. At, come yes. at me, fans. <laughs> but yeah, I like no one. No one is disrespecting Ryan Johnson in my house. Like I will no. fight for him. I will fight for Ryan Johnson. Not that he needs me to, but I will. <laughs> but the you know that that's a little nod, and it's a little it's a little Easter egg for anyone who's involved in that. You know the discourse TM that we get every week on film Twitter and on horror Twitter, and I think it's quite curious because it is that. It's a two-way conversation now. It's not just a film fan or a horror fan telling us this is how it is. It is constantly evolving. And you can see that 
in this film entirely, kind of peppered throughout, not even just in the two big speeches, two big expository speeches that we get about the rules. We get it throughout the whole film, and it is a, a we'll get to them in a little bit, but it is a key part of who the villains turn out to be as well. I think it's really interesting the fact that that feels like it could have that, especially that monologue, a couple of monologues, but that monologue felt like it could have been written yesterday. You know, I think that's part of it as well. I think despite the fact that obviously Scream was delayed, and I actually don't know when that was shot and written, but it feels so current. And that's, I think that's something that I think Scream has successfully done. We've talked a lot about themes of crime and fame. And I do think erring in that direction is particularly interesting, especially given the fact that I'm very aware meta-wise that you, that you both and I are sitting on a podcast talking about Scream. <laughs> you know, that's, we are multi-levels of this particular, the, the many-headed beast that is horror cinema. And it's literally, it's not chopping the heads off, but it's identifying all of them. And it's saying all of this is here. And yet the creators still need to be able to create in the middle of this. And it's almost a, don't you realize how impossible you have made this for us? Like we said that it had to do an impossible thing. And that is literally the movie saying, we can't be what you want us to be. We can't, we can't please you specifically because that's impossible. And I, I was grinning all the way through it because I was like, well, this is what you needed to do to fix it. You needed to address it head on and do your own thing. It's so perfect, isn't it? It's like, of course, it's one of those things that feels like, of course, that's what this screen movie is about. And, it, and, it, and I didn't actually see it coming, but it works so perfectly, that idea of this kind of toxic fans. It goes, again, back to Billy and Stu, really, and Ghostface in general being this idea of kind of the ultimate horror gatekeeper. You know, like, I will test you on your knowledge and you will die if you get it wrong, right? No, haha, fuck you, it was missing. Is Voorhees, not Jason Voorhees and stuff. And there is that feeling of toxic fanboys, right? Uh, 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 taking their love of, of, of genre or the thing they love too far. Most of the Stab movies are based on things that happened here. Define things. Things like a guy named Billy Loomis and his friend carved up a bunch of high school kids while wearing this Halloween ghost mask. And every decade or so, some idiot gets the bright idea to put on the mask, kill his friends, and get famous too. Last time it happened was in 2011. And I gotta make sure we don't get sliced up by some lunatic who saw Friday the 13th and thought, you know what, that Jason guy, he's got some pretty solid ideas. Should we talk, should we talk again a little bit about Dewey and, and Gail and, and Sydney in this? Um, because, you know, they're not, they're not on screen as much as our main cast of characters, but they have some very kind of, I think, quite meaningful moments in the film, don't they? And like, Dewey, should we talk a bit about Dewey and where he's at when we first meet him in this film? Anna, if you can, if your emotions can handle it. <laughs> Dewey's not okay. <laughs> Dewey's not okay. He's Dewey's so sad. Okay. I want justice for my limping king. <laughs> Dewey is divorced. Dewey has a drinking problem. Dewey uh, is deeply besotted and still in love with Gail. And he wakes up every morning, gets drunk and watches her on her morning show. So we get a lot of information just from seeing Dewey live in his camper van. You know, when we last saw him, he was the sheriff. He was a respected authority figure. He was married to the love of his life, Gail Weathers. And, and they lived in a beautiful house in Woodsboro. Now he lives in a trailer. He's kind of mocked uh, in a sad way. And uh, he is not he's not doing so well. And he seems very angry. And we're not very used to seeing Dewey angry in that in that deep, frustrated, 
kind of sick way and the where we where we see him at the beginning and and how he's given his final send off actually it's a this entire film feels like a redemption for him because he gets to go back to Dewey the savior Dewey the good person who wants to help people just because he wants to help them not for glory not for himself and very much at at the cost of his own well-being and ultimately his life and he's He's given a raw deal and then given a very uh, very violent, redemptive arc. So although I appreciate it narratively, and I think it's absolutely the kicker that this movie needed, and it is a very, very ballsy move to kill off one of the core characters that has been with the franchise from the very beginning and is very, very beloved, it, it, it was real painful. But I do think that the scene of Gail and Dewey's reunion was I didn't expect it to be nearly as emotional as it was. She Mm. started to cry and then I started to cry. My 4DX seat had stopped enough for me to sit and cry and I think that's what this movie does so well is the fact that our emotional heart is still in it. You know, our emotional heart is still with them and hearing the fact that they were so cursed really because she couldn't exist in Woodsboro and he couldn't exist in New York and we know that it's because of we see the the little thing that says Tatum on it we understand that he can't leave Woodsboro it's not Dewey just can't he can't do it so seeing them there's no like there was no real sass there was nothing like that hilarious reunion in Scream 2 there was just this really sad heartfelt sort of reunion between two people who loved each other very much and couldn't be together and I thought that was so I thought that was surprisingly it had surprising emotional depth the, yeah the bit the bit that got me was earlier actually and I do I do also think that <clears throat> David Arquette he's 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 great in this whole series but in the first four movies particularly he's he's quite broad he's the funny character he's the goofy mm-hmm. character I think this is David Arquette's best performance in oh, the whole Scream franchise I think he's oh just wonderful yeah. in this and he's subtle and he's like emotional and moving and and really funny he gets some amazingly funny moments as well um but uh the moment when he phones sydney really got me as well at the beginning and he's kind of holding back his own tears while he's on the phone to sydney um i thought that bit was really moving as well and then it and then it goes so funny because then he texts gail and says ghost faces back don't come here and then sends a second text going hope you're well smiley face shouldn't have done the smiley face you know and he he's brilliant because his character is genuinely such a sad thing to behold in this movie but also there's so much warmth and emotion and everything else it was a great it was a great final chapter for dewey in a way i think you know? it was a great send-off and what about sydney sydney's doing fine good for sydney sydney is jogging <laughs> sydney always has a gun on her sydney has kids she has a husband good for sid and she is such a grounding when she does finally make her way back to woodsboro she has such a grounded energy about her this time around. She is not wounded anymore. Sydney is a full human being. She's healed. She's not letting this shit drag her down. She's there to help, but she she's unafraid. And I think this might be, you know, we got this a bit in the in Scream 4, but I think in this one, she's not on screen as much. And I think it works really well because she's she's not ultimately the the the, the target 
of Ghostface anymore. She really isn't, which is the, the new thing about this scream. But she comes back because she knows the mechanics of the movies. She knows the mechanic of the of the killers. Whoever it might be, she's seen and heard this all before. So she knows how to how to react to it. And also she now has this kind of protective nature about her of like you know no i want to help these kids let's let's murder this bastard once and for all let's get rid of this and guys is she is mark detective mark kincaid <gasps> i did not even think of that <laughs> is, that must be who mark how's is. mark uh-huh, how's mark amazing spot she would have to be with someone who understood Mm. Sydney's not going to be with someone. She's uh, let's and, face a, a it, a she, cop with a gun. Of course, she'd be yeah, with a cop. She was never going to. She wasn't going to end up on Tinder, was she? I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, that I is a whole other screen movie. I love yeah, this for her. It, that's a great little Easter egg. I never even thought about that. Yeah. yeah, that's such a good spot. And also, I do feel like you're right. She doesn't have a whole lot to do. She's not the target. She comes in for some really meaningful sequences, and it's amazing. Just that amazing, very much for the fans shot of her walking into Stu. Stu Marker's house and the Sydney theme like coming in at that very kind of like whooping and cheering moment right at the end and it's and it was really awesome but I also got the feeling that and maybe we can talk about predictions at the end but I I think that if we do get more screen films I wonder if that's it it felt like a passing of the baton a bit from Sydney in this movie and I think that might be it for Sydney Gale and Dewey if we do get any more screen movies you know it kind of felt like this was this was it for them and this was sort of passing the baton on to a new generation which we didn't quite feel quite as much in Scream 4 I don't think whereas this mm. one really did feel like that I think you know I absolutely agree yeah and I think especially because there is no more Dewey I think that original trio that dynamic that that triangle that has kept the entire Scream franchise together all these years is kind of done now they need to. They need to move on. And and I suppose that's Gail's learning as well. Of I'm not going to write about this stuff. I'm going to write about a hero. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've come to the end of their arcs, haven't they? I think. And and as much as I thought I'd be more mad about that, because we talked a lot about how the screen movies are Sydney Prescott. But actually, this did feel like a kind of fitting send off for them. And if we do get more, we might not. But if I imagine this is going to do very well, and and if mm-hmm. we get more screen movies, I think that might be it for for Sydney and Gail as well I don't know she can be a future easter egg shall we talk about the final act then and the killer reveals yes please yes yes yes. so um, as is tradition of course we find out that there are two killers not one Uh, we've got one of the little Gen Zers, uh, horrible Amber, <laughs> and uh, and then we get Sam's boyfriend Richie, the guy who kind of, for the bulk of the movie, appeared to be the kind of slightly comedic sidekick who didn't know anything about the stab movies and didn't know about Woodsboro and didn't know anything about the past. Um, he, of course, turns out to be one of the killers as well. Um, what did we think of this reveal? And did you guys predict it, Anna? As Dewey rightfully says, very early on in the movie. Rule number one is you never trust a love interest. Absolutely. Dewey was right. Dewey, yes. um, Former Sheriff Dewey is always right. But also this is is the number one rule in my own life as well. Never trust a love interest. (laughs) (laughs) Never trust a man who says he's never seen a movie. Lies. Lies, Lies. you're lying. If you have to go and be like, oh, I've never seen the stab movies. I'm much more of an it follows kind of guy. Are you Richie? Are you? Yeah. You've yeah. got horror Reddit written all over you, my man. I did call it, to be honest. I I called Amber because I think she she was leaning way too heavily into the 
the angry alty girl, um, which is a trope that I really love from 90s teen slashers. And we didn't see too much of her, but every time we saw a bit of her, she was always just sort of staring daggers at everyone. And Richie, because he's the he's the new love interest, and the love interest in Scream movies are usually the killers. Uh- I guessed her. I guessed Amber, but simply because there was a weird, intense scene earlier where she was like, "Do you have your inhaler?" So she was weirdly obsessed with the inhaler. <laughs> so then, when there was the inhaler reveal, I was like, "Oh, yes, I know who you are." I immediately dismissed Richie, and then I brought him back into the picture as the movie wanted me to do, and then I kicked him out of my head as the movie wanted me to. Basically, I I, I was exactly what the movie wanted with regards to him because by that point I had pleasantly discounted him so that when it was him, I felt celebratory because I was like, you did it. You convinced me otherwise. Well done. Because it was so well orchestrated and every beat of that third act was all about placement because the directors understand that Scream has become so obsessed with the killers that we already know who's behind which ghost face and how many ghost faces there are and who was present for that death and who couldn't be there for this one so we were mentally moving all these chess pieces constantly all the time and I'd settled my chess piece on Amber but I hadn't on him and I think the fact that so when it was him I was just like oh checkmate you did it yes by that point you'd you'd convinced me which made me feel really happy as you said because it's like you beat me good work I was the opposite way around to Louise. So I thought Amber was too obvious. So I dismissed Amber from the beginning. I thought she's too weird, dark, gothy, aggressive from the start. Uh, but I absolutely thought Richie, and particularly when uh, the hospital attack happens and the killer just knocks Richie out and slices his arm and then leaves mm. him. I was like, right, well, that's uh. that's 100% Richie and somebody else. And of course, my head canon was... It's Richie and Stu Marker. Like, it's going to be Richie and Stu. Uh, so, yeah, didn't quite fit my head canon, but yeah. So that's interesting. So we all For had me- a mix. Anna predicted both. I predicted Richie. Louise predicted Amber. So there you go. For me, it was the fact that Richie kept on watching stab movies and commentary yeah. about the stab movies. I'm like, you say you didn't know or like this franchise, but you have spent yeah. the entire movie learning about it. This is not research about Woodsboro, my dude. Yeah, he spends the whole film on YouTube and, and Reddit, basically. It's like, well, the thing is, I actually, I was fool. Yeah. I was a fool, obviously. But I was like, well, he he's being the foil for the people who don't know anything. Yes. I was like, he's the... Because he is perfect for that. Because obviously, it is so smart that he is perfect for that too. That I was like, oh, well, he's the noob. Like, he's the one that's... He's having to learn all of this stuff. And it's like, well, that's quite nice. And also, he's he was also the vehicle for, again, that modern tech, that modern communication of sitting with his headphones in in the hospital watching a screen. And it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, that's how we all watch horror now. So I, I found that particularly nice nod for that. And of course, their motives was essentially that they were just toxic fanboy fangirls, right? They they essentially just wanted to recreate the make stab great again, basically, right? Wasn't it? After after Ryan Johnson's stab eight. Stab essentially. Up. Yeah. They wanted to reboot the franchise. Yeah. It's like horror Twitter materialized into a horror villain. Yeah. But I did love so much it was all in that kitchen so going back to that Mm. original and having them throw each other around in that kitchen 
was just like this just this delicious there was a couple of really delicious moments you know uh jasmine savoy brown sitting on that sofa as we saw new bits of stab that we'd never seen before which was yeah. the scene with i mean that was amazing a little bit of rodriguez's so, uh, stab coming back yeah there. yeah so i think i think that was lovely it was like that was the point where i think the meta got so much for me where i was like i should look behind me because this <laughs> this yeah. is becoming absurd <laughs> and what did you what did you guys make about the we've talked very briefly about the visions of Billy Loomis, but that's obviously the return of of Skeet Ulrich, but also this idea of is Sam potentially the killer because she is the illegitimate daughter of a serial of a deranged serial killer from the very first film, and these the visions of him seem to at, at the beginning at least hint that there is something homicidal about her, you know this whole thing of nur- nurture versus nature and. That, and that reveal at the end, and especially that one liner of, you know, don't fuck with the daughter of a serial killer, is a great line when she turns on Richie. But did that approach work for you? For me, it really did, because I think it ticked multiple boxes doing that, because it, it taps into that nostalgia, first of all, seeing Skeet Ulrich. Just, that was just really exciting, for one thing. And I'm never the biggest fan of this... Again, it's a very Star Wars thing, right? This idea of like, we're going to digitally bring back young Princess Leia or Peter Cushing or whatever. And it's like, they did it with Halloween Kills and Donald Pleasance. And I'm not the biggest fan of it generally, but I think for this, it sort of worked because it's not trying to look realistic. It is a character's vision of a father that she never met and she only knows from recreations in stab movies so he kind of looks a bit kind of weirdly uncanny and it kind of worked for me in that regard so I liked it and I liked seeing Skeet back but also it really connects her to this idea of Sidney Prescott right that Sidney Prescott had this had this it all stemmed from her parent too like everything was happening because of her mother and but I think it worked really well for me I loved it and we kind of briefly talked about the violence and the gore of this film but did it feel extra gory to you guys as well because it kind of felt to me yeah it was a different kind of gore to scream for which was like fountains and rivers of blood this was a Mm. little bit more it was stabbier wasn't it than the previous ones and there was maybe a bit less like over the top gore but it was quite it was quite visceral. Like there's a, and, and maybe we'll talk about this in the screamies where we talk about some of our favorite kills, but there are some real sustained knives going into flesh moments, right? That really linger in ways that like, oh, we haven't seen this before in the scream films, you know? Yeah, hands, yeah. hands, knives going through hands. No one's really done that before. And, and through, knives a, going through, and through neck, a cheek into faces. the neck, you know? Yeah, mm. it's pretty, pretty not, like I really felt it in places. Yeah, it was good. I did it wasn't the violence before it but when um wes was being hunted in the house i talked about the tantric jump scares like that was just five minutes of constant fake outs of like well you think you know how scary movies work and we're going to give you how you think you that you know they work and then we're going to give you our version of it and i did i think for some people they might not i think some people might not have enjoyed that but i really did because i thought right so you're trying to you're trying to readdress how slasher jumps work and you're you're winning like I, this is and that's before the horrific violence occurs one thing one thing we haven't talked about and that kind of really looms over this scream is the absence of Wes Craven who directed every single one of the scream movies and to whom this film is also dedicated at the end did that that dedication when it pops up in the credits did make it ch- choke up a little bit so 
how do you think the new directors, Matt and Tyler, fared? I think they absolutely nailed it. You know, like I think, like like we keep saying, like this movie does what the first film did so well. I think they balance tone really well. I think that they pay tribute to Wes really well, uh, and. You know, previously they'd done movies like Ready or Not, right? Which is a really fun movie. It's slashy, it's violent, it's nasty, but it's also really funny. So in certain ways, I think they were the, they were a great choice for that because I think pulling off that kind of tonal balance is what you need for a screen film. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with them. And, and also they, they, they didn't want to make it so radically different. They didn't want to be like, guys, this is our screen film. Like it really felt like they were... They were channeling Wes Craven deliberately, and I really liked that about it. It felt respectful. Yeah, that third act, literal raise a drink to a character called Wes and have like a literally have the third part, the third act party was literally a dedication to Wes as just a lovely little moment without being. I think they were really respectful to the characters. They understood those characters so well, which is obviously why Nev and Courtney and David returned because Wes was such an important, I think we heard in those interviews, he was such an important part of their lives that they wouldn't have returned for a cheap cash-in. They were returning for people who loved those movies, who understood those characters and who could do them justice. And I think the the, the multi-layered justice was, was done to those characters in a way that I think not very many other directors could have could have taken that on i mean imagine it was really stressful for them <laughs> like the idea of that which obviously again comes through in that sort of requel discussion but i do think i mean they just knocked it out of the park yeah i think it's 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 an impossibly big set of shoes to try to fill and i think they don't attempt to do a west craven i think they know that they're an entirely different generation of filmmakers that they have their own thing to do their own um their own kind of things they need to prove to audiences and to themselves but they clearly get the heart of scream and i think when you pointed out the fun of it both their previous work and this feels fun in a way that the scream movies always were they're not trying to outsmart Wes Craven they're not trying to outdirect him because they know that that would be an impossible thing to an impossible feat to achieve so they pay due tribute to Wes and they understand the the heart and what makes a scream movie tick yeah and and yeah they make every kill count I think as well like we've already talked about some characters don't die that you you expect to die some characters do die that you're not expecting to die and every it's got a relatively low body count. Like when you see the amount mm-hmm. of characters that do survive and are still being wheeled off into stretches at the end, you're like, oh, so who actually died in this movie then? But I think that's the thing. It's like, it's got that Wes Craven way of like, these murders are not just random faceless victims we don't care about. Like all of them felt like in some way or another, they had resonance. And that was really important as well, I think, you know. Are we ready to do the final screamies? Of Hello, Sydney. As I'll ever be. I'm I'm emotional, but ready. (laughs) So what was the scariest moment of Scream 2022? I think it might be like the moment Louise mentioned earlier where you keep expecting a jump scare and it keeps being sustained. Like I loved that long, tense moment of uh, Mm. Wes on his own in the house. We've seen his mother be murdered right outside the house on the porch and that's a 
that's a quite scary moment in itself because she's being stabbed to death in the middle of the daylight in her quite nice neighborhood and there's nobody there to help her and her son is right inside and has no idea his mother is lying dead on the porch and it's just that sustained tension of like I'm opening this door I'm closing this door I'm opening this fridge I'm closing this fridge and again every moment of it littered with emotion too because when he opens the fridge door you see a nice little note from his mum with a smiley face or you see a photo of the two of them and it's again really hitting home like this is a a, a child and his mum and she's just been murdered and all of that kind of thing so I think I think for me that was one of the scarier moments in the film I think I think for me the moment Dewey walked out of that lift (gasps) yes Louise when he walked out of that lift my stomach (laughs) dropped because (laughs) I was literally like I hate it when I'm right (laughs) Like, I don't want to be right. Please don't be right. Because you know, you know the rules. You know that he will either walk to the knocked out ghost face and ghost face will be gone. Or you know that ghost face will wake up. Either of which you don't want to happen. So I think that moment of like, I need to shoot him in the head was just utterly devastating. So I guess it doesn't come under scariest, but definitely most devastating. Yeah, dread inducing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that was my scariest moment because I was I was fearful for Dewey I like exactly like you the moment those elevator doors closed I was like I knew and I was scared about what was going to happen and I did not want to be right and I did not want you Louise to be right I know I'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) we'll never forgive you (laughs) and what about your favorite kills which you know are, are different from from the scariest moment well I guess I know this sounds mean but I think I'd say Dewey uh because it was so shocking and so bold and really really nasty too right he was properly sort of gutted i guess it was a they're not coming back from this one yeah. so what can we do that makes it the worst we'll literally put a knife in the front a knife in the back and up <laughs> it's just like yeah. oh oh yeah you're not surviving yeah. this one. Oh, no savage God. I, I think mine was actually Detective Judy because it was in broad daylight, mm. because her son was on the other side of the door, because there were so many opportunities for anyone, literally anyone with a window in that beautiful white picket fence neighborhood to help her. And she was just getting stabbed for a very long time right in front of right in front of her house. And Ghostface had toyed with her so much in the in the in the lead up to that. It was, wow, couldn't even wait to get her through the door in her own house. Literally killed her on the front yard underneath this American flag. It just felt very nasty to a degree that I hadn't really, you know, recalled from previous screen films. It's like, wow, you really hate this woman, don't you? Did we have a favorite new character from the from the new set of people we're introduced to in this new scream? I mean, probably Mindy, right? Yeah, yeah, it's got definitely, to be Mindy. definitely. Yet again, <laughs> we love yeah, we she, love the nerds. She's like she's got the coolness of Kirby and the obnoxious knowledge of Randy Meeks, and and a kind of a very very obscenely cool twenty twenty two vibe to her. Yeah. I loved her. And do we do we have a favorite cameo? In this one. Skeet! Usually a- Skeet! Come <laughs> on! <laughs> Could there possibly a better, a better, be a better cameo than Skeet? I loved it. <laughs> I have to say for me, it was, the, it was the hunky ghost face. I know this is not strictly a cameo, but it was just something that popped up way in the back. And that little vision of Ryan Johnson's vision of Stab. I was like, you know what? I want to see this movie. I want to get to know this ghost face. <laughs> yes. Yes. Release the Johnson cut. I want to see it. Oh, God. 
No, please never do. <laughs> yes, I would love Ryan Johnson to just, for fun, direct a whole ass stab eight movie based on that 10 seconds of footage that we see in this scream. <laughs> I, I think it has to be skeet. I think it has to be skeet. There's, I mean, that first moment where you're just like, oh, that's what it's doing. Mm. Yes, that's what this movie is going to do. This, this, Yet again, it's doing the impossible and I'm, I'm here for it doing the impossible. I especially loved when she was driving and he was sitting in the back seat. I don't know why that was so good. That was great. That was just my favourite thing. <laughs> little little urban legend-esque almost, yeah, you might say. Yes. Um, also, Ooh. I don't know if this counts as a cameo, but Randy's little mantelpiece shrine, his photo there in Mindy's house was great as well. Loved it. The final screamy really has to be our favorite original trio moments, our favorite Sydney Gale Dewey moment. Okay, I'm going to start with my favorite Sydney moment was when she just hung up the phone when she got to the top of the stairs. <laughs> she was like, I'm bo- no, I can't do this. That was, it was just like, yes, that, that, this is the evolution of Sydney Prescott. Everything you were saying earlier about her, like, she's not the final girl anymore. She's just the one that gets shit done. And that was just the perfect example of her hashtag girlbossing ghost face was just hanging the fuck up. Oh, so I love how she just shoots every door. Like, yes. just like does it. And you just hear somebody like, ah, on the other side of it. It's just brilliant. I loved it. So good. Sydney is taking no shit anymore. Nope. She's just like, no knives, just guns. She's guns. like, pow, 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 pow throughout the entire movie. <laughs> like, yep. Okay, Sydney. So good. You were That's how you fix all your problems. Efficient. So yeah. good. Yeah. Someone went to therapy and got a gun. Excellent. Good. Um. Oh, God. Favourite Gale and Dewey moment. I mean, I think we all have probably the most emotional Gale slash Dewey moment, don't we, yeah. really? It's, yeah, yeah, it's sad times. Gail has a few fun lines throughout, actually, as well, that we haven't really mentioned, but she's got a bit of that Gail nastiness at times in the second half as well, when she interacts with some of the, like, the Gen Zers, which made me laugh. She finally got her Gail back. Like, when, especially, I loved when her and Sydney were about to get in the car, and she was like, she was like, oh, I learned from the, she said to, what Sydney said to her, oh, I've learned from the best kind of thing. I loved that kind of stuff between them, because they never... They, they've always been at loggerheads. They've never really... They don't work together. They only work together in the final act when literally there's blood pouring from someone and someone else will die otherwise. So actually to see them going on a bit of a road trip to the car, from, to, to the, in the car from, to the house from the first one felt like new ground. And it felt really... It felt nice. It felt like something we'd never seen before but was quite natural. So finally they weren't just interacting while on the floor covered in blood. And I think my favourite moment for, for Gail is actually on the back of that is when Sydney turns up, she turns up to support her friend. Mm-hmm. She turns up to support this person that has been either reluctantly or been involved in some of the most traumatic and, and meaningful events in, in their lifetimes. And they just hug. They don't punt each other. There's no animosity. They're done with that. This is a moment where they step up for one another and they acknowledge what they've meant to each other. And it, that I think that is the heart of of this movie. It knows that this relationship, this connection between these characters goes beyond the stabby stabby plot. It's something it's something much richer, much deeper. And Gail finally acknowledges too, you know, what what she's done to Sydney in the past, I think, as well, which is really the first time she's sort of done that in the series where she goes, This is all because I wrote that book on your mother and and then Sydney is like, No, it isn't, don't be ridiculous kind of thing. So they're really kind of acknowledging and forgiving each other by this point, finally, like twenty five years on. Yeah, it's really nice. I do find that really hard. Like I when my parents started watching the new Star Wars movies with 
and they were like, oh, you know, when I first saw this, they were young. And now I realize that how they must have felt. Mm. Like so we're looking at we're looking at our favorite characters' age. And I don't I think this is maybe a, a wider point, but I think it's something that we've all noticed over the past couple of years, especially over pandemic times. We're all quite we're all quite um introspective now. And I do think that there's definitely a progression of looking at our, you know, people that we saw in school movies and then suddenly, actually, now they're leaving that long behind. And I actually felt like for the first time I was watching them going, I age two. I, I've 25 years has passed since I saw this and 25 years has passed since you were in this. And I think there's a real uh, a thoughtful sense of ageing and progression and a natural close there. We got, we got old, guys. We got old. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Unsubscribe. But you're still on TikTok, Anna, so it's fine. That's true. I'm I'm still clinging on to my youth by aggressively <laughs> TikToking. <laughs> well, guys, we did it. We've 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 covered Scream 2022. That's it for episode five, and that's it for Hello Sydney. Uh, I can't believe it's come to an end already. Thank you so much to everyone listening uh, for subscribing and supporting our little podcast over the last few weeks. We've absolutely loved doing it. Um, And if people want to hear more of me and Anna and Louise, there are plenty of other (laughs) horror podcasts out there that you can hear us on. Uh, Anna, where can people find you and more of your work? I mean, we're ridiculously prolific. (laughs) So you can find me on the Final Ghost podcast where we're currently looking at the teen horror subgenre and where I I have intensely deep dive discussions about horror movies and horror adjacent movies, usually looking at tropes. We've done witches, we've done vampires, we've done female monsters, we're doing teen horror now. And also, I host the American Horror Story Recap Podcast, which comes out weekly, called The Next Supremes. And you can hear me review new releases occasionally on BBC Five Live's film show, Entertainment. And I also guest occasionally on Mike's podcast, Evolution of Horror. And you can find me on Twitter at Anna B. Demented, where I try to post everything that I'm, where I'm talking or writing about movies, horror included. And Louise. I you I'll start off you can find me on Twitter at shiny underscore demon where I will post links to when I'm on Anna's podcast when she lets me talk about things with her and when we agree it's nice and when we don't it's better. I will also you'll also <laughs> find me on Mike's podcast, <laughs> The Evolution of Horror, occasionally. And every month you'll find me on Radio 3's Sound of Gaming as I journey through video game soundtracks in a specific theme and interview composers. You'll also find me talking and writing about tech on Radio Scotland and T3, talking about games and games radar. But yeah, I, you can find me in multiple places. But yes, my Twitter is at shiny underscore demon. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, Mike Munzer, at the movie Mike. Uh, but I also host uh, the horror discussion podcast, The Evolution of Horror. And if you love listening to these discussions, if you love listening to nerdy deep dives of horror movies, then you will love the evolution of horror. There's nearly 200 episodes worth of discussions just like these on all of the most classic horror movies throughout horror history. Uh, That's the evolution of horror. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
Hello Sydney is produced by Mike Munzer and Anna Bogutskaya for Paramount Pictures. The show is hosted by Louise Blaine, Anna Bogutskaya and Mike Munzer. And it's edited by Mike Munzer. Celebrate the 25th anniversary of Scream in 4K. Available to download and keep on Apple. Scream 2022 is in UK cinemas right now and it's distributed by Paramount Pictures.